welcome to the Enthusiasts Club podcast. I'm RJ White. Each episode is a conversation with a member of the club about something that interests them a great deal. This time, I'm speaking with law professor Emily Ho of our Cincinnati chapter about the 1961 film Flower Drum Song. And it's not just about the oddness of an old musical, and there's plenty odd about this one. We also talk about representation, finally seeing folks like you in the media up on that screen and what that can mean, especially to a kid growing up in the suburbs in Michigan. Uh, especially for those who haven't seen it or who aren't familiar with it, uh, what exactly is Flower Drum Song? So Flower Drum Song actually uh, was first a novel written by C.Y. Lee, who was a Chinese-American writer. Who He was actually an immigrant from China, um, and he had come here, I, I can't remember, like in the 50s or 40s, after World War II, he had gone to Yale Drama School, got an MFA, and then couldn't really get a job and moved out to San Francisco, wrote for like a Chinese paper, and then started writing a novel, like got a short story published and then started a novel, I think. And so it was uh, first a novel from the perspective of like a Chinese immigrant becoming a Chinese American. And then it became a a play staged by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And that was, I think that was like 58, the stage production on Broadway. And it was, I think it was directed by Gene Kelly. I think the first production. Yes, it, it was the first yeah. thing he ever uh, did, Like, uh, which is kind of, uh, seeing as a guy had done so many kind of very performative things like that, I, I was surprised to read that that was his first thing he had ever like directed for the stage. Yeah, actually, I did not know that. Um, and that is really interesting. And like, I, you know, I had read, I didn't, I didn't find much about it. But I had read that he, he was pretty insistent on trying to cast as many like Asian or Asian American actors as he could. And then a few years later, it became a f- movie, 1961 movie, and it starred like Nancy Kwan as Lee, is her name. Lee? Oh, my God, I'm embarrassed. Lisa Lowe, I think Linda, Lowe, Linda Lowe. Lisa Lowe's like somebody else. Um, let's see. So, yeah, Linda Lowe. So Nancy Kwan, I don't know if you know her. She, like, it's funny because Nancy Kwan was somebody I knew from the, like, the pearl cream commercials when I was younger. But she was she was the prostitute in the world of Susie Wong with Bill Holden. Okay, so, so she was in it, and um, Jack Sue was in it from Bernie Miller. Yes, no, I, I was I was very excited to uh, see him. Like, oh hey, good, because I loved him and Barney yeah. Miller. He's a very great comedic actor. Yeah. Oh my god, I Barney Miller is just so great. I mean, you could do a podcast on Barney Miller, but a whole bunch of other Asian American actors were in it, and uh, it was, you know, it's a it's a pretty typical. I would say actually that in terms of like the the kind of like romantic plot line. It's pretty shitty, pretty badly done, I think. But I think the immigration story is a lot more interesting. And so, but of course, that's like looking at it now. I have to say when I went, when I watched this, when I rewatched this like a few days ago to prepare for this, there were parts of it that I could like not bear. And it wasn't, and it wasn't because of the sort of the racism of it or anything. It was more just like the offensive sort of like gender stuff that's in all of these musicals, you know? Just the way they speak to each other. I mean, and it's fairly typical, I feel like, of musicals of this time. But, like, you're grown-ass adults and you talk to each other like you're 13 years old. I mean, I don't 
you know, I mean, your emotional sort of like the, <laughs> your emotional life is like that of a preteen. I, I just can't, it, it, you know, to me, it's just like kind of unbearable to watch that. But what I loved about it, so the first time I saw it actually was on, because you and I are both native Detroiters or Metro Detroiters, and so... I, I, I'm well out of uh, Metro Detroit, but I think the entire state of Michigan, that's the only city we have. So, yeah. yes, you can pretty much say, like, oh, I'm from Lansing, so I'm well within the middle of the glove. Well, but you can still, like, if you want to go to a large city, you'd have to go over to Detroit, yeah. and so, yes, yeah, yeah. And also, you get the TV stations over there, so, yeah. You know, like, do you remember, like, Bill Kennedy used to have, like, these matinee... Thing. Oh, vaguely, yes, yeah. yes. He so, was on uh, four or two. He was on. He was on like channel fifty. Or is it fifty? Fifty, fifty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, channel fifty. Yes. I don't, I think that's his name, but anyway, I think I first saw it on one of his things. And oh, and how how old were you when you saw it? I must have been. I was young. I must have been like maybe in third or fourth grade. Okay. Maybe. Something like even maybe yeah around there and I just remember being like what there's Asian people the whole cast and it's not totally cringy and offensive right and so so as a, as a little kid how important was that to you as an Asian American uh, kid seeing that and just seeing uh, folks on TV and I was like oh hey this is not what you would see every single day was that very important to you was that a big deal or it was actually really important to me because, you know, like, well, as you know, Michigan is not like California, you know, and, you know, suburban Detroit is not like San Francisco. And so there were a lot of um, I grew up with, with within like a pretty good size, like Asian Chinese American community because my parents immigrated here in the 60s. But it it was not, it, it, you know, we were definitely still like one of very few. And I had never seen anything in movies, on TV, in real life, you know, anything with all like Asian Americans, like speaking to each other in unaccented English, you know, with like a love story between two Asian people Outside of like my parents, my dad used to teach at Wayne State University. And so we spent a lot of time at like on campus at Wayne watching like Chinese movies, you know, like Bruce Lee Kung Fu movies, like in Ch in Chinese, um, which are really different from, you know, from obviously anything like the flower drum song. So it was really important to me in the sense that like I didn't I, I couldn't believe it was like it was hard for me to believe that this thing existed and that it was obviously from many years before, you know, it was just like, how is it that there is this thing on television with all these Asians, some of whom I feel like I could kind of like identify with, you know, from like the 60s or whatever. I, it was just really astounding to me. You know, I have to admit, I really like musicals in terms of the actual music sometimes and like the dance, like the production aspect of it. But most like narratives, I can, you know, are pretty cringy and horrible. So there's that, you know, that, so there's like a general love hate thing with musicals because the plots are usually so insane and at least of the older ones, but the dancing and the costuming and the, and the music is so great. Right. So you kind of have that, but it was like, 
completely. I was just like kind of blown away by it. Well, and, and your your parents. Uh, well, do you remember what their reaction to it was? This this film at all or no? I think they thought it was. You know, I can't I can't remember my mom's reaction so much to it, but I think my dad found it to be like really entertaining. You know. <laughs> And my, but my dad is like Cantonese and, you know, mo- most of the, you know, uh, uh, when we think of like when Americans think of like Chinese culture, we tend to think of like kind of like Cantonese culture because that's, you know, the, the big waves of immigration during that time were, you know, from that part of China. But I mean, it's he I think he thought it was pretty entertaining, but my dad really likes musicals and stuff like that, <laughs> like American Western musicals. So it, you know, he didn't like it more than Sound of Music, like he loves Sound of Music. Or, you know, West, like my mom didn't like it more than West Side Story or something like that, you know? I mean, it's just not equal. It's interesting to bring that up because this thing, when I was watching it, uh, the time that it came from and the fact that other things that were going on in musical theater at the time, things seemed like they were kind of moving past this. And this felt to me like very much of a odd throwback to the stuff that Rodgers and Hammerstein were doing. Uh, back in the 40s or so, when things had moved to West Side Story or, or Sondheim uh, just starting to come up and that sort of thing. Whereas a lot of like, the love story of this and a lot of the songs in this kind of felt like, oh, this is, they're still trying to do something and stuff's changing and it just kind of feels like that it's two different uh, types of entertainment kind of fighting with each other a little bit within this somehow. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's definitely, I mean, part of that, I think, is like, in a sense, maybe if you if you felt that it might have been effective, because I think it's, it's partly like, kind of like old meets new, you know, like sort of traditional. Modern. Yeah, yeah. Well, which I mean, that, that's a huge theme of the thing itself. But it seems like that aspect of it in terms of just being uh, the structure of it and the type of show it was seems a little inadvertently referring to its like larger themes in a way. You know, one thing I really hate is the whole like East meets West thing. I mean, I just hate that. But I think the, I think it like as a kind of story about like Americanization, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it from sort of an immigration, you know, from someone who grew up in an immigrant household, the process of like Americanization and assimilation I found in the movie to be, it's a really interesting discussion. I mean, on a really dumbed down level, kind of, but, you know, it's something that you don't really, if you're not, if you don't kind of grow up in an immigrant community or immigrant household, you don't really hear that conversation and that conflict. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's very specific to people who are immigrants or are first or second generation Americans. You know, like I really loved it that that, you know, like in the first, one of the opening scenes, you know, they're asking First of all, everybody's like, you know, supposed to be Chinese American, but like they're asking some cop or whatever, like the directions. And he's like, I don't read Chinese, you know, <laughs> and I love that. Right. Well, or actually that same cop, there's there, there was a there was a very funny joke. I thought it was funny that um, I said, where are you from? And I said, oh, we're from the Far East. Like, oh, New York City, eh? Yeah. The cop <laughs> says, which that's just at the basement, a really good joke, like a good old fashioned joke, kind of. Yeah. 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 And there's some really good jokes, like, throughout. But, you know, it's interesting because, like, the whole thing with, like, them coming in illegally, you know, like, on the crates in the in the ship, um, you know, is not 
I don't think that's in the original novel. Like, it's fun. I just started reading the novel, actually. Well, yeah, I, I, I was going to ask you, have you read the original book? So I, I read about uh, the source material. Uh, the, the entire book, like, the focus of that is on the father and his having trouble kind of navigating. In fact, like, well, he wants to say the traditional ways, but his kids don't want to, and it's dealing with uh, America and the Western world. So I was surprised to read that. And then the focus of uh, the film is entirely pretty much on, oh, it's a love story between the the kid, like with the kids and everything, the young people. So I was surprised because I, I would think that'd be a more interesting story, but that maybe won't make a musical people are going to get in the seats for, I guess. No, and I, I think that's right, you know, because it follows a really, I think it follows like a really typical like plot line. You know what I mean? Like for these kinds of like easy. Oh, yeah. A, a, a convoluted, complicated mismatched love thing and there's misunderstandings and all that blah 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 yeah yeah well so i'm only about a quarter of the way through the book right now and um it's actually also a lot about the older son who in the book is like 28 years old and in med school and he and a lot of it right now is about like his you know like he's kind of lovesick you know like it's a lot about sort of like sexuality, actually, as in terms of what I'm reading so far. And I, you know, so I've actually been reading because David Henry Huang did the new production of it in the early 2000s. And so he wrote, I don't know if you, he wrote M. Butterfly, which I don't know if you've, if you know that. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it because I'm not, I'm not, it's usually I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but I, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it now. So it's not, so M. Butterfly is actually not a, a musical. It's a theater. It's a play. You would enjoy it. So it is like a, a parrot, not a, I don't want to say a parody because it's kind of serious. It's like a parody of Madame Butterfly, the opera. Um, and what it's about is actually, it's about, I don't know if you remember years ago there, it, it's based on a true story. There was this like French diplomat who fell in love with this Chinese opera singer. And it turned out that the Chinese opera singer was a man who was like a spy. I don't know if you remember this. This is like a real thing. Uh, and so it was like a big scandal in the news. And so Huang wrote a play based on that where um, like John Lithgow played the uh, French diplomat. and BD- Oh, my gosh. This, this already sounds really, really interesting. Yes. Yeah. It, it won a Tony Award for like best drama, I think. And then B.D. Wong actually played. Oh, wow. Yeah. Song Li Ling in the original Broadway production. And it's about, it's really, you should read it actually, because it's, it's great. And it's about like, you know, how is it that this French diplomat could fall for, you know, could have this years long relationship affair with this Chinese opera singer, because the French guy's like married to a French woman, you know, with this Chinese opera singer and have sex with this person and not realize that she's a man who's a spy, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's a lot about like the, the sort of like West's ideas about like the Orient and what it's about and the whole kind of like the Western view of the East and what that means and how that like allowed this guy to live in this like belief that this Chinese opera singer is in fact, that this man is in fact a Chinese opera singer. And I think they made a movie, too, of it, where I think, um, what's his name? Oh, my God, what's that guy's name? He, he Jeremy Irons, where he plays the John Lithgow part. I But I never saw that. And I've never actually seen the play, like, but I've read the play, like, a million times. And it's really great. David Cronenberg directed it. Oh, my gosh, really? 
That's strange. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you looking at it? Are you looking it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I looked it up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. that's that would be a heck of a thing to see. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, huh. the guy who wrote that play, David Henry Huang, he did the new version of it on Broadway, like in the early 2000s, and tried to kind of like, you know, do some different things with it. But I've read a lot of stuff that he's written on it. And then there's some really interesting articles. But like, it, getting back to the Flower Drum song, like, you know, because the whole immigrant, the illegal immigration thing, like, so like it takes place right after in the aftermath of like World War Two, right? Like in the decade after World War Two or the two decades after. And in 1882, the U.S., the, we enacted the um, Chinese Exclusion Act, which excluded all Chinese from entering the United States. So like exclusion, the kind of exclusion that we're seeing now, you know, like is not new at all. And the Chinese were excluded in the late 1800s as a result of, you know, because a lot of the Chinese came over here and built the railroads in the West and everything and drove down, you know, it was like a whole labor thing, right? So they drove down, they they were being accused of the same thing that like Latinos are being accused of now, right? Like all that shit. Yeah, we, we will always find someone to blame for this stuff. Yes. Exactly. So they wouldn't let any more Chinese in. That didn't get sort of eliminated until like 1952 when they started letting people in again. But like they put really strict quotas on people coming in from Asia. So in the period between 1882 and and 1952, there was this whole phenomenon of like picture brides and paper sons where the only way if you were already here as and, and most mostly it was men because they were the laborers and they had restricted women from coming, a lot of women from coming because, you know, they didn't want us breeding and because like, you know, Chinese women are like prostitutes, right? So whatever. And so it was like a, like in Chinatown, especially on the West coast, it was like a, what they call like a bachelor society. So it was like a lot of men, Chinese men. And then, so the whole picture, so the only way people could get in even after 52, I think, it was to sort of they could only bring like people directly related like in the I might this might be I might be a little bit off on this but sort of like in the nuclear family you know like your sons and a lot of times there would be like picture brides who you know you would you would only have ever seen a picture just like in the movie so that's like the basis of like the sort of illegal entry although in terms of like immigration history it, w- it was legal to come in as a family member, but only a certain kind of family member. That system actually is what has led now to, you know, when we think about immigration now, a lot of it is like family members, stuff like that. Kind of, I think it kind of originated with that thing. So there's actually a really interesting immigration history that creates like the, the narrative, you know what I mean? But it's not really, you, you never really find out why, like, why did, you know, ha, why is it that they're there illegally exactly other than to find the husband, right? And, like, but you don't know anything really about, like, what, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. Yeah. And actually, that was, that was a thing, too, that, and, and the thing is, reading more about this, that it, this apparently was really extensively rewritten uh, from the stage version to the film version. And it, things that I, I read online was like it was written, rewritten to make things a bit less condescending, 
was a phrase I saw, but I'm going to guess offensive was probably <laughs> what they meant um, for the movie version. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, because even the movie version gets sort of accidentally close to addressing these things. Yes. But I, I'm just, gosh, I got to wonder, have you ever seen anything of the stage version or read anything of the stage version to see exactly to what extent that went to that were kind of like, ugh. No, you know, I haven't. And I, I, I did try to do like a Google, I tried to do some online research on it and I didn't, I just, I didn't find much and I didn't have time to do a deeper dive. I wish I could have. Cause I, I got to imagine, cause as the film is, there are definitely a lot of moments where it's like, Oh, Ooh, really? Oh, well, I mean, but then you, you think in 2019, or 2020, whenever this podcast comes out, that um, you think like, okay, well, you know what? That was a long, long time ago. So, but still, there's some stuff in here mm-hmm. that's kind of like, ugh. So then you got to think like a few years before that, there was stuff yeah. that maybe was even worse on stage that was hugely popular. And you just got to wonder, God, yeah. what the heck was in that live version a little bit? Yeah. No, right. And, and I mean, the, I mean, some of it is like, like the whole bit where Nan- when Nancy Kwan and Jack Sue, sh- when she's like, uh, I'm basically breaking up with you in the dressing room. And he's like, well, I'll buy you a car. And she's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like all of that. But, you know, I think, you know, I think it's supposed to be like, like a commentary on like Americanism. Right. Right. I, Cause I mean, part of it feels as though like it- it's and the thing is Jack Sue's character in this is kind of fun like a weird sort of uh, also very much uh, contemporaneous for this the um the whole rat pack sort of thing totally yeah yes so uh, like that whole stuff with him and his apartment even all of that and even Nancy Kwan with him feels like oh okay it's that type of movie with that sort of thing but I mean it doesn't make it uh, great or a good thing but you can kind of th- actually that's the thing too about the, the the Jack Sue thing like oh great he's in this he's playing a really great character but then to find out in the stage version he actually played the uh, lousy nightclub comic on Broadway oh did he it was oh really yes and then got promoted to this for the film because the guy who played um uh, Sammy Fong in the Broadway version was like some guy named Larry something or other so I think they made that choice like, no, we're going to have uh, a cast who actually fits this and we're not going to have this guy named Larry come over and play Sammy Fong, which thank goodness they did that because that would just be weird a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the casting is really amazing, you know, like I, I can't I literally uh, outside of something like and 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 I know I haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians. I haven't read Crazy Rich Asians on purpose. I just don't think I can take it. Like, I remember in, like, the 90s, all of my... Oh, really? Why, 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 why exactly? If you don't mind me saying. I'm, I'm curious. I just know that I'm going to read it and be really resistant. And uh, t- and I don't want to read something like... And be re- feel really resistant. You know, like, I, I, I don't... I don't want to... I don't want to start reading it to be critical and be, like, hyper negative about it. All right. And so the entire time you're reading it, you're just not enjoying reading a book or enjoying watching something yeah you know and i right now i feel like i've still really prejudged it and i know that that's not like fair but i i have a feeling that i'm not gonna like it and so i kind of want to get over that before i read it so in a few years you're like you know what fine whatever 
I, I got a Sunday afternoon. I'm not doing anything. Sure, throw it on Amazon Prime or yeah. something. It's like, fine, let's check this out. Yeah. Oh, eh, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. Eh. I mean, you know, like, like I don't know if you ever read Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, but, you know, that was like a huge deal like in the 90s, right? And it was all about, like, eight, you know, Chinese-American moms and their daughters. And I remember all of my friends, like, I would come home from college and all of my friends' moms would be like, oh, did you read Joy Luck Club? Isn't it just so great? And I'm like... Please don't talk to me about that book. <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't want to have this conversation about, like, how much I related or didn't relate to the Joy Luck Club. And, you know, the Joy Luck Club, actually, it's another, that's like another book that I, I used to feel kind of, I didn't really love. And now I, ca- I can really appreciate it, you know, like, I think, because, you know, like, you go through phases in your life where you're, like, super militant about things. And then, and then you become an adult, right? And you're like, okay. Oh, yeah. So so I think just just the casting alone to me is like one of the one of the best things ever. And then I love like that, um, that Grant, the the Grant Avenue song and that whole production. Wait, wait, which one is that? That's the it's so it's so it's the parade. It's like the New Year's parade. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Where it's... Though it's strange, <laughs> though. It's weird, though. It's so weird. It's weird because it's supposed to be the Chinese New Year. And yet it's. <laughs> American patriotic <laughs> music playing over it. That's so bizarre yeah. to me. You know, that's the whole point, right? It is really weird. But and then they're all like in these costumes. And then, you know, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to I mean, I don't know why you would have gone to like a, a Chinese New Year celebration, like in this outside in the streets. But it's super, super fun. And that like that lion dance or that dragon dance and the firecrackers. It's really fun. Actually, no, we, we have a very uh, we have a very substantial uh, Chinatown here in Philadelphia. And. Um, they do a lot of outreach, and yeah, no, I've seen. I've seen they go to other neighborhoods and other groups, and so you see, it, it's an amazing thing to just see that for real. Oh, it's so this it's thing really just cool. going. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so neat. And and the people in there, the people, you know, like they are really. It's it's like, you know, we used to go to the ethnic festivals downtown at Hart Plaza. I don't know if you ever. Yeah, do you remember that? Oh yeah, Hart Plaza. Yes, but the, the crazy fountain and everything. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and. Like my Chinese school, we used to actually dance in the ethnic festival and ha- we had a booth, you know, a food booth and everything. And um, it was like so much fun. I mean, that's some of the best memories I have of like growing up in that in the Detroit area. But but, you know, there was always there were always people there who would do like a dragon or a lion dance. And it was so fun. It is It's great. Um, anyway, but I love that scene because. It's like, are you Chinese or are you American? Well, we're both, right? Like, there is a line in the new play where the Mei Lee character says, or, or, or the Linda Lowe character says something like, well, you're acting like you're 100% Chinese, and then you act like you're 100% American. And then he says, like, well, I'm 100% both. And she says, like, well, can you be that? And it's and the, And I think the answer to that is supposed to be yes that scene to me, like, that's the scene I love the most. There are really weird, weird scenes in this movie version <laughs> that I don't understand at all. Well, I think because <laughs> even just, and I don't, I don't know if it was the the transition or the translation coming over from the stage version of the film version, the changes. But yeah, I mean, there are things story-wise that don't entirely, just as a basic story, uh, with all the other factors even ignored don't entirely work i know you pointed out like the seamstress miss chow 
Like, what happens to her? Like, she's in that huge dance extravaganza, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and all- and, and there she's she's really sad when he leaves the thing. And as I understand it, in the original uh, source thing, things don't end well for her. But in this, uh, she just kind of gets forgotten. Like, I, I, I was hoping, I was hoping the entire time that it would turn out like, oh, he ends up with her because she's great. She's an old yeah, friend of his. Yeah, and it's 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 crazy because like a lot of the music in Flower Drum Song actually reminded me of Sound of Music. Well, actually, that was that was something that struck me. There are only a couple of like only a handful of songs in this thing that seem like they're even uh, trying to uh, make some sort of a uh, pass at, at, at the, the traditions or the, the 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 country it comes from and everything all that. But then the rest, you could pretty much just pick up and drop in some other Rodgers and Hammerstein show or musical. Like, I enjoy being a girl or a couple of the other ones, too, where they seem like very generic, hey, these are songs from a musical that anyone could be in, or the topic could be anything, and yeah, that just seemed kind of strange to me that for something that was so aimed at a, in trying to tell the story of, of a specific uh, group of people, there are only, like, maybe two or three songs of the thing that actually seemed like they were doing that. The rest just seems sort of, this could be in any show about anyone at all. You know, I definitely think that there are some songs in there that are kind of like completely, as you say, they could, they could be in anything. Right. There, but there are several too, that are kind of like pretty specific. I mean, that Grand Avenue song is like my favorite, but you know, the beginning thing with the flower drum and then the, well, actually that's something uh, my wife pointed out. like for a movie called flower drum song, uh, there are, Exactly two songs uh, that involve a flower drum and a song with a flower drum. That's it. <laughs> yeah, but that's the name of the novel. <laughs> There's like 20 songs yeah. in the thing. Only two of them have anything to do with a flower. It's like, yeah, you might want to lean on that a bit more if you're going to call the thing that. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. There's so much of it that is, you know, like flower drum song connotes like, orient something oriental and i use that term with big like scarecrow quotes you know like it conjures like it's like what you would expect something like asian to be for that time but yeah that like but i would say like the the songs from from the show that are like really famous are the ones that really have nothing to do with like being a chinese american you know like i enjoy being a girl right i had no idea that came from this i've heard that song uh throughout the years on, on commercials and other films or people just other singing it. I had no idea it was from this specifically. I, I would never would have guessed in a million years it was from this. Yeah, I know. But you know, it's interesting too, because like, you know, when, you know, as like somebody who is Asian American, like watching this as much as I love, like the casting and everything, it's so funny because it's so like, to me, it's so everyone's supposed to be Chinese American, but it's so clear that everyone's like, totally different Asian ethnicities, you know, like the melee, the melee characters, like that actress is clearly Japanese, but it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's so much in it that is, you know, there are things, there are things in flower drum song that really ring true as somebody who like grew up, you know, as like a, well, first or second gen, depends on what you call how you label it, but like, but a first or second generation Chinese American, well, I mean, when we first started emailing back and forth about this, you said you want to talk about this. You said you had a love-hate relationship with it over the years. And actually, yeah, so the love-hate, what, what, what's the 
slit there? Well, the the love part of it was like actually seeing seeing some people who look like me and my family and my family's friends in popular in some kind of medium like that. Everything around you, especially back in the 70s and 80s, right? Like it's it's white and black. And you're there's not a whole lot of like Asians except playing really terrible roles. Or like, oh my God, I still remember seeing Breakfast at Tiffany's and that fucking, it is so awful. And that's how I remember being made fun of, you know, with the eyes and the teeth and, you know, all of that, like that to me. And I put like Bruce Lee and all that other stuff in a different category because that's like a totally different thing <laughs> because it's also not like Chinese American. So what I loved about it was just seeing like seeing yourself represented in something like that where people are having relationships that you never see. Just like it's a, sort of affirming to see Asian people in these roles like dancing and singing like the possibilities are kind of like, like, I don't need to just sort of assimilate into this sort of like nerdy academic thing because, you know, my parents only are here because they're nerdy and academic because that's who they let in at the time to the United States. The, the thing that struck me is like uh, very early in the film, uh, when uh, Maylee and her father are, are uh, busking there in the park, where the folks just gather and they're just wearing late 50s, early 60s suits and whatever. There's people there. They're, it's just because they live there because they're just in that neighborhood walking past. It's just completely like there's nothing strange about it. It's just, it's like, no, they're just the people who live there in that part of town. Like they're just walking by. That's it. It's just completely normal. And it's not just a thing where like, oh, look at this. It's just cult. No, it's just like, yeah, there's folks walking by and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Have you ever been to, like, San Francisco or... Yes, I have. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really different now, but I just I just really like being in places where I look like everybody else sometimes. It's just, it's just you know, sometimes it's just nice to, like, be surrounded by people who... Where you, where you don't feel, like, different. It's a really basic thing. It's also an important thing. I mean, the whole thing about uh, representation and you can actually see... Uh, folks on TV or in films who are like, oh, that that's especially if you're a little when you're a little kid, that is such a huge thing. Like, oh, it's just it's normal. Like, it shouldn't be yeah a strange yeah. thing. And so the fact as as weird as some parts of this and a lot of parts of this movie are oh so weird. Um, <laughs> the fact that yeah, 1961, uh, they were just presenting it like yeah, this is this is just some folks. Telling the same, telling the same love story musical thing we've made uh, for these idiot white people like a million times over uh, since year odd one. Here you go. This is fine. This is what it should be. Yeah. Also, I really loved how like all throughout, you know, you get these like running jokes about like, no, I'm not foreign just because I'm Asian. You know, <laughs> like the I can't read Chinese. You know, the you know, um, oh, I oh, you're from the east, or like New York. You know, all of that stuff. It's it's really nice because you know, to this day, RJ, to this day, I get asked sometimes, "Where am I from?" No, no, no. Where am I really from? What? I mean, yeah. Why people? Because I don't know. Because people are are. Look, you know what? I my husband is white. My children are biracial. 
one time when my husband was out with them without me, some dumbass asked him, where did you adopt them from? What the hell? I know. I would never presume to ask someone that. One, it would be none of my business. And two, I wouldn't assume that was the case. That's ridiculous. Well, exactly. I mean, her. first of all, who fucking asked that question? Right, right? yes. But secondly, like, what the fuck? I mean, it's it's really, you know, these are the types of things that just, like, are constant. You know, you they're, they're not, like, super, super constant. But, you know, some, once in a while, I get ching-chonged at on the street. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. Yes. <sighs> I know. So, you know, whatever. So sometimes it's just nice to be like, you know, oh, look, there's Asian Americans being like regular, not foreign, you know? So that's something I really love about it. And I still love about it. And I have to say that as irrelevant and bizarre as some of the like uh, musical numbers are, I really love some of the really weird, like surreally um, dance, like that whole thing with, Oh yeah. The, th- the, the thing with, uh, with Helen with and Helen yeah. going on. And, and it's very obvious too. Uh, we, we noticed that, um, James Shigeta is no dancer. And so they just put a bunch of guys in masks who are dressed like him. So he doesn't have to dance in that weird sequence. But otherwise, that's a really neat, strange dream sequence. It is. And those masks are like Chinese opera masks. And you know what I mean? They're like a thing. They're like, you know, to somebody who has grown up watching some of that stuff, like they're like, oh yeah, that's a real thing. So it's not like it's completely... I'm curious about that, too, because, I mean, this thing is filtered quite a bit through uh, a guy who experienced this, wrote the novel, and then went through Rodgers and Hammerstein, and then went and then went through, I think, just Hammerstein and somebody else uh, who wrote the film. So it's filtered like three or four levels. So the whole thing of trying to retain any sort of uh, cultural relevance at all is kind of watered down quite a bit. So it's it's weird to me and it's amazing to me that someone working on this production no no let's use let's at least get these masks right or at least let's at least get this costuming right or this set dressing and that sort of thing correct in some sort of way or the casting I'm I'm amazed it made it through that somehow. So I was reading this excellent article online it was from the la review of books by this woman named heidi kim who teaches i think she's a professor at unc chapel hill and um you know and her she like teaches like asian american stuff she's an asian we'd say an asian americanist she wrote a really great review or she wrote a really good piece on it and she talks about how you know even though it's really dated and cringy you know, like Rogers and ha- it, she said that like you do see like Rogers and Hammerstein's apparently like had they had real concerns about like social what we would call social justice issues now. They they particularly had some like interest in relationships between like the U.S. and Asia. So like you know South Pacific and this and so you know so she's somebody who's like studied you know obviously studied these this in, ac- academically, but. You know, I thought that the piece was really interesting. And then she also raised another really interesting thing that we haven't talked about yet, which is like this whole notion of um, whitewashing or what would used to be called yellow face. Because I think the stage version, uh, just looking at the cast, there was a fair amount of that. But then the film there, but the film 
there wasn't. And I'm wondering, I'd be so curious to see like why they made that. I'm glad they did, but I'd be curious to see like why they made the choice to, no, we don't need, we don't want to do that for the film. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's like, um, it's, it's amazing. I mean, to me, that's really amazing, right? Like, I mean, we look at now when you have people like Matt Damon and like Emma Stone playing Asians, like in Yellowface, which is so gross. Like, you know, it, it's um, it's pretty amazing to me that back in '61, right? Like, they went out of their way to cast an all Asian cast, except for um, Juanita Hall, who is African American. Juanita Hall. <laughs> Yeah, they had somebody else cast, I think, because Juanita Hall had played uh, the aunt character on Broadway. Yeah, and she also played Bloody Mary in South Pacific. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And they had an Asian uh, actress cast uh, for the film, but I think she died just before. Oh, no. Yeah, I think she died just before. She passed away just before uh, starting the film, and so they got Juanita Hall in to play, play the role. So like that, you know, this whole thing of like whitewashing and yellow face is really, it's really interesting. It's really amazing that they did this back in the sixties. You know, it's, it's just, there was a huge, when I was in college, like that's when I think Miss Saigon was on Broadway and there was like this huge controversy over, um, like all of these at like non-Asian actors who were being hired to play Asian characters or extras and stuff like that. And so there were all these like protests and all of this stuff going on and the, and I think, like, the the Asian-American actors were, like, really divided between the people who were, like, you know, we should be getting those roles. Like, why are white white people getting those roles? Um, and then the Asian-American actors who were, like, why would you want to play such, like, a shitty role in such a shitty story about, like, basically glorifying, like, you know, like, you know, all this, like, white, you know, savior, blah, blah, blah. It was interesting to kind of like see that happening when you're when I was in college because I was my major was Asian American studies, you know, but I didn't really like look into that too much. But um, yeah, I remember watching this movie, too, in like one of my senior seminars. And it was interesting to watch it like as a student in college, you know, compared with when I had seen it like throughout my childhood. How often have you watched it over the years and how has your opinion of it kind of changed over time i would say from like the first time that's a good question from the first time that i saw it when i was like little i probably saw it like once a year on tv or i would catch at least parts of it once a year on tv you know and then and then i didn't watch it you know while i was in college i don't think i watched it at all until my senior year when i watched it in the seminar and you know i think like early on i really loved it by the time, like, the more I watched it, the more I kind of hated it because it was, like, cringy and, you know, I saw more, like, the negative, like, the stereotyping, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and then by the time I watched it in college, I had really generally positive feelings about it because I thought it was trying to do a lot of interesting things, you know, in a time when things like that weren't attempted, you know, like, and so... I came to appreciate it in a really different way. And also because I had studied all of this like Asian American literature for, you know, the three, you know, years. And so it, it, there, there was like a lot more I was bringing with me to watching it. Do you know what I mean? It was a much more positive experience. 
And then like, I didn't watch it for a long time. You know, like when I heard that the, that David Henry Huang was doing a production of it, I think I watched it then the the original. And then I like, you know, I listened to it more than I watched it, like the soundtrack, the new Broadway soundtrack. And then over the years, and then I didn't really watch it again until I was preparing for this. I mean, I was listening to it a lot, you know, um, but throughout and like, honestly, when I was watching it this time recently, I was like, oh, God, I feel so bad that RJ has to watch this. What? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It was so like long and like the whole there were so many like numbers in it that I was like, I don't know why this is here except to be a musical number. Here, here's the thing. I, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but um, I'm, I'm willing most entertainments uh, to just try them out. And also the point of doing the, this podcast, this show, is to, to just kind of find out and learn about things that other people are, are enthusiastic about or they're interested in. And so, no, I, I want to know about that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm probably never going... Uh, to watch it again. No, I don't. No, no. I may, I may now uh, seek out uh, the new version and listen at least, well, not watch, but like listen to the music from that, um, just out of curiosity. But no, no, it, it's not a problem at all. Like it, it was. I'm, I'm glad that I finally had seen it, uh, just because I'd heard about it for years. I mean, it's one of those things in popular culture that it's it's out there and everything. And just also, I was like seeing Jack Sue and something. That guy's very funny. I know. I mean, I love him, and I. It always makes me, he's just so funny. I mean, there's just so much, it's, it's really dated and it's really weird and, you know, but it's, it's great to see like Asians in these roles. Well, Helen, you know, how that seat, that long dance sequence with Helen, it's where there's, it's very like American, American in Paris, if you've ever seen that movie, but you know, and that last big number with, um, Jack Sue and Nancy Kwan, like where they're married. Oh, going down the streets and everything, and yeah, and down the hallway, and no, the one, the one with the cowboy and Indian. Oh, right, no, that one, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Also, a pet, like jumping out of the screen, like what the hell? Yes, that was very strange because it made no sense. Yeah, it was bizarre. That entire song, like, was like a drug, like an acid trip or something. It was so strange. It was like, what is happening here? There are a lot of numbers in there too where we thought, like, oh well, did oh, I was googling to see like did um, Bob Fosse consult on this or anything? And look, well, no, actually, because actually on Broadway this was nominated for a bunch of Tony Awards, but it lost out to a uh, Fosse and Verdon show that year, which like was another sign of oh these younger people coming in with a different stuff with the more modern things. You can definitely tell there's a lot of moves in this where like, oh, okay, they were taking cues from that, that that's where things are headed, yeah. Yeah. Well, and also we haven't talked yet about the ending with like the whole wetback thing. Oh, gosh, yes, right. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Right. Uh, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because like Operation Wetback was a thing back then where – you know, they, it was, again, it was like a time in history when like the U S government was like allowing Mexicans in on a limited basis to work, you know, to provide labor, cheap labor. 
And they would stick them on the, you know, they had this like Bracero program where it was like, okay, you can kind of be here temporarily until you can't. It wasn't sort of like an immigration policy. It was really more like a labor policy. And then, you know, and then the whole thing of like, my back is wet. I, you know, I can't get married to him because my back is wet. And then the whole, you know, my son can't marry a wet back or whatever. And it's so... In some ways, it's so typical to have sort of like, you know, two racial minorities that are sort of where like one is sort of dumping on the other in a way. It's so typical to to have that kind of thing as sort of like a comedic device. Well, it's making mixing that uh, with having like this weird sort of clumsy uh, deus ex machina for like fixing the whole thing at once. And then you're having a crazy TV double wedding at the end. Sure, why not? But then mixing it with that weird sort of immigration racial aspect, and it's just like, oh, okay, well, all right. Yeah, and, and the whole thing of like, well, you know, I'll be deported too if she gets deported. You know, I mean, I mean, all of that is just so, that's probably my least favorite part is the ending for lots of reasons, but I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, that's so kind of, trivializes like the whole that whole reality of like deportation i mean it's it's kind of it's really gross actually well i mean the thing is if if you're going to put that in there and and have your audience which most of your audience for this they're never going to have to deal with that in their lives so to even put it one why would you put it in there and two put it in there in such a weird way well, supposedly in the novel, which, I, as you know, I haven't finished yet. So, like, in the novel, the Wang Ta character has a good friend, Ch- Chang, who is a PhD and who, you know, is like an older, like a middle-aged, you know, bachelor type in chi- in Chinatown, too. But in uh, supposedly at the end of the book, like, that guy, Chang, actually marries a Mexican woman. Although, you know, like I said, I because I haven't finished the book yet, I don't know how that happens. But, you know, it, it's the, the ending was so bad. I, I, I'm really curious about the book and wanting to read the book because it seems like the book might be a much better thing than, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think it's really funny. Like so far, you know, there are things in it, it, you know, it's 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 told from the perspective of like this Chinese American dude who immigrated. It's really fun. There are things in it that are really funny to me, much funnier than the movie already. And I'm really not that far in. Um, and, you know, my sense is that I'll probably like the book a lot more. But you know, the number the number one thing to me that I love about the movie is just like all of those Asian American actors in there. I love it. The younger brother and his crazy dancing <laughs> is like the greatest thing. The brother, that guy who played him, and I looked him up, he I think is he played kind of a uh butler guy in the first two seasons of MASH for the two main characters. I think it's that same actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, he he's great. I mean, like that that when he's like in that baseball uniform, he starts dancing. I'm just like, I was when I was watching it again. I'm like, oh, I forgot about this part. That's so great. Oh, oh, the two, the two, uh, the the two younger sisters just disappear after disappear after that number. They're never in the film again. They're at the wedding. Uh, they're not at that reception thing for the graduation. Those two younger sisters just gone after that number. Wait, are they their younger sisters? I think so. I figured they were. Complaining about the old people and everything. Yeah, I think... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's The whole right. song is about complaining about the old people, <laughs> and they just disappear after that. I figured they were the younger sisters who just kind of disappear. 
Maybe they showed up in The Shining as like two crazy white <laughs> twin girls. Um, I I don't know. That's yeah. I totally forgot about that. Well, doesn't one of the little girls show up in that? But it's in that weird in that weird number about the Sunday morning. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's just something that when if you watch this movie, there's a lot to talk about. And it's just, there's a lot of, like, amazing things. There's a lot of things that are also, like, super offensive. But I feel like that's true of so many musicals. You know, like, I remember watching, like, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Did you ever see that? No. I, I mostly associate that with the um, old promos on Turner Classic Movies where Martin Scorsese really, really talks about how uh, good letterboxing is. And they always use that as an example. <laughs> So that's that's been the extent of my experience with Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I mean, that shit is fucked up. I used to love that when I was a kid. I loved it because the dancing, it was like a, I think it, the choreography was by George Balachine, the, the ballet dancer and choreographer. And like, I remember that fondly until like, I realized like what actually was going on. And then I was like, what? <laughs> shit is crazy you know and there's so many of these musicals are kind of like that but like every time the the leads would talk to each other about like relate their relationship it was just like they act like they're 13 or younger and i I can't get i can't get with that like it's just not that's what i hate about it so your kids would you want to show this to them and if you do how would you preface it how would you explain it would you use it as an opportunity to say like hey, here's the context of the time, but here's why it was important to me when I saw it as a kid? Or would you kind of like hold it off until, you know, they're in their teens or in college or something? But how, how would you handle that? I think I would probably show it to them and not say anything and then ask them what they think after. My oldest son is 14, and so he's too cool for this, you know. My younger one, my younger one is 11 in fifth grade, and he actually really likes um, theater. And he like, I mean, he doesn't know a lot. Like, it's not like he's not one of these kids who goes to tons of musicals and stuff. But you know, we took him to Hamilton, and he can like, he can do a lot of the Hamilton rapping. And we, you know, he likes musical like numbers and stuff. He likes Glee, you know, all that. But my older one watched. Crazy Rich Asians on Netflix not too long ago. I was like, well, what'd you think? And he's like, eh, it was okay. It was like, it was, it was parts were fine, but like, eh, I think it, you know, it just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And because I haven't seen it yet, like we didn't really talk about it, but like, I don't think I would like affirmatively be like, let's watch this. You know, they know that I'm talking about it with you tonight and they're like, well, what is it? So, you know, I would certainly let them watch, you know, if they want. And and after the podcast is up, you'll all sit around the fire as a family and listen to, well, let's let's turn on the, <laughs> the radio set and listen to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, they they think it's weird. They think it's weird that I, you know, the they think it's weird that I like talk to you before about Columbo and they <laughs> think it's weird well, that I'm That's very understandable. <laughs> that that's that's a stage in growing up. When you, th- you think, oh, it's strange that my parents talk about a murder TV show from the 1970s with with some guy in Philadelphia over the internet. But all right, sure, that's yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Columbo, Columbo was was had a lot of weird, bad stuff in it too. You know, but but it's like of its time, and you know, you it's interesting to think, you know, to like I don't know, 
But back at back in those days, you know, when I saw Flower Drum Song, I think the only like Asian character that was on television at the time, I'm sorry, there's so much noise behind me right now, was like Arnold on Happy Days. I think that was the only him and like at the time Barney Miller was on, so Jack Sue. Which again, Jack Sue, he was just he was a guy there in the squad room, like everybody else. Yeah. I'm trying to think, is there anything else uh, you wanted to bring up that we haven't brought up? You know, I think we've talked, I've told you a lot about what I love about it and what I hate about it. And, you know, I think it's what I hate about it is what I hate about a lot of musicals of this time. And what I love about it is something that is just was really unusual and affirming to me in some ways, even even though there were like stereotypes it's interesting because David Henry Huang's reaction when I read his introduction to the book, exactly the same. Just having the representation and the identification, it, it, it it's like is a kind of turning point in your, it can be a turning point in your life when, when you never see yourself represented in those things, you know, in these, in these media, in these mediums, you know, so it can be really important. Thank you, Emily. You know, if you're looking for law school, she's a professor at the University of Cincinnati, specializing in contract law and critical race theory. Well, let's say you're already a student there. Sign up for one of her classes or audit it. I don't know if people still do that or if they ever did that. I have no idea. You can also follow Emily on Twitter at Emmy Howe, E-M-I-H-O-U-H. Well, did you like what you heard here? Would you like to hear other episodes? It's simple. You can subscribe to the Enthusiasts Club on your favorite podcast app or visit enthusiastsclub.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Enthusiast Club. Thank you for listening.